Uh, so would you hear now the reading of God's word as we transition uh, to this time of teaching? We're going to continue on in the book of Ephesians. Again, this is printed for you in your bulletin, um, or you can follow along in your own Bible. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. I invite you to open up your hearts. Uh, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the reading of this text. I pray that it will be meaningful, meaningful to you today. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Um, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us now through this word and um, help us to be all here and all ears for the next few moments. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing on in the book of Ephesians. This is what we've started since the beginning of the new year. Today we come to Ephesians 3. Um, And so it's it's another beautiful prayer that God has given to us through this book. Um, I love this text. Um, And I use that word love intentionally. It is Valentine's week after all. So we're going to talk a lot about love today just by happenstance. but a, a type of love, obviously, that's way, way more than what the Valentine's type of love is. Um, I've entitled today's sermon, Big, uh, which was kind of cool. Uh, it just, just seemed to be the best way to capture a giant text. But I'll just give you a little insight. This past week, we had a, a family death in our family. So we flew down to Atlanta this past week. It was the, my uncle, who I was close with and loved. He loved Jesus. So he's, he's great. Um, but... Uh, they were talking about his life and they, the, the preacher talked with the family this week and uh, was just saying, communicating back different things that the family had told them about my uncle. And they, he, the, the preacher said, she said, one of the favorite things that you guys said about him was that he loved you big. That was the way that they put it. He loved you big. And I was like, that's really cool because that's kind of the word I was already kind of being prompted to with this text, how God loves us big in the same way that my uncle loved his children in a big way. Everything about Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 is big. It's about scale. It's about measurement. It's about fullness. And everything in this passage is just big. That's why I think the Spirit prompted me to think of it this way. And I want to just put us... So we had the children's moment up here earlier, right? And I said, wow, we have a lot to learn from children. And I think one thing that children do really well is they see the world big. They just have a way of seeing the world in a big,
big way. I was reading something this week in a book um, about a grandfather who was hanging out with his grandson, who was just a few months old, and he was playing on the ground, crawling around, playing with a little ball. And he was just enthralled with playing with this ball, and he was moving around, and the grandfather was just captivated by how how big this ball was in this little kid's life. It just was his whole world for that moment. Just everything was enthralled with playing with this ball. And then the ball rolled under the couch and was out of his sight. And if you and I were playing with a ball and it rolled under the couch, we would go search for the ball and go under the couch and find it. But when you're a few months old, this kid, the ball disappeared under the couch And he just turned around and started doing other things. And the grandfather in the story, um, he was talking to his daughter, so the mother of the child, and he was getting concerned. He said, why did he just give up on the ball? He was so happy with it. Now he doesn't want it at all. Why is he not going after it? Is something wrong? Is he developmentally challenged? Is there a problem? Is he? And she said, no. She said, it's something called object permanence, which means for a little kid, if it's not right in front of you, It doesn't exist. The ball ceased to exist the moment it went under the couch. And so I think for transition point and point of conviction for us, sometimes that's how we think about the love of God is that when it's not right in front of us, when it ceases to be in our eyesight or felt by us, it's almost, where's God? It's like he's not even there. Object permanence. And so today, part of, it is, part of what I hope we can do is just learn to seek God even when we can't see him. Learn to feel and know the bigness of God's love for us even when we don't see it right in front of us or feel it. And so, uh, like I said, this is one of many prayers that the book of Ephesians uses. Uh, this is the second time that, that Paul has a transition like this where he's in the middle of teaching something and then he pauses and says, Now, for this reason, I come to prayer. So he pauses his teaching and he says, now I'm going to pray for the Ephesian people. I'm going to pray for your church. And the prompting for us today is to pray not only for ourselves, but also to pray for this city, to pray for those that we are called to reach with the love of God. So that when we walk out of these doors later this afternoon, this love will not just disappear like the ball under the couch, but will flow through our lives to all of our neighbors and friends and coworkers to a city that needs it. So what are the big prayers that we're invited to pray that Paul leads us into? Um, Before I get into those points, uh, verse 14 says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. What reason? What, why? What's the reason Paul is choosing to pray now? And this throws us back to last week, which was grace. Grace. For that reason, we pray. Because God has showered his grace upon us and has called us to serve and to love people around us out of the grace of Jesus, for that reason, now we pray. And who do we pray to? We pray to our Father. Um, Jewish leaders at this time uh, would have prayed standing up, oftentimes swaying, with their hands open like this. This is how Pharisees would have prayed, kind of in an exaltation kind of prayer. Again, picture these big black robes. Maybe if I was a Baptist preacher 30 years ago, I'd be wearing the big black robe too. But a big black robe, swaying back and forth, praying like this, eyes up to heaven. That's how Jewish people would have prayed. 
How is Paul praying here, though? For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. I kneel and Paul is on the ground in prayer. He says, in humility and in trust and in awe of God of who he is, with no exaltation, he said, I'm bowing my knees before a big God, a God who is, is bigger than anything else. I'm bowing my knees before him in humble prayer for you, for the Ephesian church, or for us to pray for this church or for the city of Salem. So I have four big prayers that Paul leads us into, into praying for today that we can pray for each other, but also we can pray for those outside of this space. The first thing that Paul, I think, prays for is for family or community or for togetherness, but particularly through this image of family, prayers for family. He says, I pray to the father, again, he calls him father, God is our father, not just a distant deity, but he's our heavenly father. But he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Every family on heaven and on earth is named. So he prays for people to find their true family or real community. And this is when we just have to acknowledge that the reason we need to pray for this today is because this is literally being called the loneliest generation in human history. Like Google that loneliest generation in human history, and it will bring you to today's generation. And I know you probably feel that. I feel that sometimes. And if I feel that, and if you feel that, think about people who are disconnected from God and from the church. More people today are disconnected than ever before. There's a really big amount of scary statistics, especially in young people who are isolated and need community. And so we need to pray for others to find others to find their true family, people that they can go to and find love and support. And so if God is the father of all people, which it says he is here, he's the father from whom everybody on earth is named, then that means you and I are brothers and sisters, cousins, aunts and uncles. Yeah, there's people who I've, I just met this morning and we're brothers and sisters and we're, we're family. And that's really cool. Like, again, I was just at a family funeral this week, a thousand miles away. And it was great to be with family. I was telling Sarah, you just feel known. I make jokes and people laugh. Like, it was a miracle. It was amazing. I felt known. It was a time of grieving, but also it was a time of, of really being filled because you're, you're with people who know you. It was a gift. And the church family has the ability to be that as well, our deepest spiritual family. It's a spiritual gift to us. Even if we don't have blood family that we can rely on, and I pray you do, but even if you don't, or even if you do, the church family is even something deeper because it's tied through spiritual connectedness, through our heavenly father. We are one in Christ. Remember, this goes back to other things in Ephesians, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. We're all one in Christ. And most people don't have that kind of community or that kind of family, that kind of connectedness. And they feel that and they're longing for it, even if they're really terrified of the church being that for them. Here's a quote from a, a guy who wrote a, a commentary on Ephesians. And he says this, uh, just talking about the gift of family and why we need family. Uh, he says, our father commonly doesn't remove us from suffering, but instead sends members of our church family 
into our suffering. What a cool thought that is. So yeah, we oftentimes pray, God, remove this suffering. Take me out of this hard thing. But really one of the gifts that God loves to do is when we go through a hard thing, he sends one of you into our our lives to be with us. And when you experience that, when you feel that, that's really life-changing and profound. Every family is named from him, it says, from whom every family is named. So just think about the importance of a name. We derive our identity from our names, our last names, our given family names. Spiritually speaking, we derive our truest and real name from God himself. So regardless of race or country of origin or language or anything, we find our name from our true father, from our true family. And again, this makes us known and worthy in his sight because we're together. We share that family name. So again, we pray for that for each other. We pray for that for those outside these walls. Pray for our city to find true family. Number two, uh, we pray for what I would say vitality or strength or life. Paul says, what are we praying for? He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So I I take this as a prayer for, for vitality or for strength, like I said, or for life. Like insert the word there that works best for you. But basically just prayers for people to live fully, to, to, to one, just to be able to survive, but also to find their deepest and truest life. So again, if we're, if we're being honest about our generation and about our times that we live in, it's, it's becoming more increasingly difficult for people just to want to survive. And I say that with sadness because suicide rates are higher than they've probably been in our lifetimes and that people are more depressed or anxious than they've ever been. And again, I know some of you are experiencing that. I know I've experienced some of that. So the prayer for just survival is a good prayer just in and of itself. God, keep people alive. That's a good prayer to pray. So starting with that as a baseline, God, would you keep people around me that I love alive? Then you can go to the next prayer, which is after you keep them alive, in part through community and through family, then we pray that God would give them a life of full purpose and meaning and vitality and strength, that God would give us strength to continue on. So John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's the life that Jesus offers. And that's the prayer that Paul begins to pray here. And he does so through this idea of glory. He says that according to the riches of his glory. Now, glory is kind of a church word, let's be honest. Like maybe the only other time we use the word glory is for like a Super Bowl champion. But so um, (laughs) glory is a word that we kind of like we use all the time, but we don't really maybe know what it means. Glory just means like God is substantial. So the way I've always liked to describe it is if you have a fake coin or a fake dollar bill and a real coin or a real dollar bill, you can tell the difference based off the weight. So it shows the realness of one thing versus the counterfeitness of another thing, like a monopoly dollar versus a real dollar, for instance. Like not a whole lot of difference, but enough to tell a difference that this is the real thing. And that's what the glory of God is. It's, he's substantial. He's the real thing. 
And because he's substantial and because he's real, that means he's full of everything that we need. He's the one that offers everything to us that we can have. That's why God is referred to other places, particularly in Jeremiah, as the fountain of living waters. We drink from him because he has an overflowing supply of what we need, abundance. He is the fountain of living waters. And it says here that he's not just glorious, but he's rich in glory. And I want to spend some time on this for a second because I've preached a couple of sermons where it's mentioned the word rich in Ephesians, and I haven't really explained it yet. But this is the fifth time in the book of Ephesians that God is described as being rich in something. Ephesians 1.7, it says, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.18, so that we may know the riches of the glorious inheritance and the saints. Ephesians 2.4, God being rich in mercy. Ephesians 2.7, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. And then here it says, um, I'm sorry, for, uh, uh, Ephesians 3.8, according to the unsearchable riches of Christ. And here we're talking about the riches of God's glory. All this is just to say that God has plenty of glory and out of that, he wants to give us life and life to the full. God can give us everything we need for life and godliness. And it says that he can strengthen us with power, with a a dynamic power that we can't find anywhere else. That that word there, um, power, is literally the word where we get the, we get the English word dynamite from. We get something that powerful and explosive that then causes life to flow in us. God is offering that to us, to us weak and tired and weary people. God's offering strength through his spirit. And perhaps the most important thing just about this point about finding true life is Um, is where this life is actually found. So, and again, this is why we need to pray for people because no one would argue with me if I went outside and said, we want to find a true and deep and full life. But where you find that life, that's where the contention comes. Um, So many of the people I know that are not believers try to find a full life in circumstantial things or in material things. Um, or even through silly things like having like a really vital body. Like, again, it's good to have a healthy body, but to be vital does not mean to have strong muscles here or even to have a strong brain, like to have a a great Ivy League degree. Like those are great things to pursue, but it's, it's not even your heart. It's not even, again, Valentine's Day kind of love or feeling. Where does it say that our life is to be strengthened? In our inner being, it says. God is offering life to you in your soul, in the most you part of you, the hidden part of you that no one else can access, that the weight room at the YMCA can't access or the the Ivy League classroom cannot access. Only God can access your soul. And that's what he's promising to strengthen. And he says, "If if that is strengthened with power through my spirit, then you will truly live. Even if you're the weakest physical person or not the smartest intellectual person, your soul will be fully alive. And that's the life that Jesus has offered in your soul. He makes you strong and full of life for the life you are meant to live for his glory. So again, we can pray for that for others.
Thirdly, look at verse 17 now. We're getting to the, we're getting to the heart of this text now. And again, it just, it just keeps getting better. Verse 17, the first part, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, pay attention to those two words, so that, that's the purpose. What's the purpose of being strengthened in your soul? So that Jesus may dwell in your heart through faith. So the prayer here is for salvation. Salvation for us, salvation for people around us. Why do we exist as a church? So that people may hear the gospel through us. So that the city of Salem may be spiritually reborn. And so that Jesus may live in the people that live here. For people to welcome Jesus into their lives and to find salvation. You know, we're, we, we, I, I, I keep talking about how we're the lonely generation. We're the anxious generation. People also call this the post-Christian generation. Meaning that that's a thing of the past. That's what our grandparents did. They went to church. They worshiped Jesus. But us today, we, we find our spirituality through other things. Well, that's, that's part of the call of the church now is to bring the relevance and power of Jesus to modern people by praying big prayers like this, that Jesus would live in the hearts of people again here through faith in him. Again, it's, it's like Christianity 101, obviously, but let's pray for that. Let's pray for the people that we know that don't know Jesus. Um, I, was, I was watching a Hallmark movie, believe it or not, um, years ago. I've matured past this by now. Um, but there was a Hallmark movie that, uh, you know, kind of typical story. They go back to their hometown and yeah. Um, but there, this lady comes back into her hometown and someone comes up to her on the side of the street and she says, ma'am, have you found Jesus? And the lady says, I didn't know he was missing And so the prayer here is that not necessarily that people would find Jesus as if he was missing, because that's kind of a modern answer back to that question. I didn't know he was missing. Was I supposed to be looking for him? The prayer here is that people would receive him, that when Jesus knocks on the door, like the stained glass window here, when he knocks on the door of your life and you see him and you recognize, okay, that's God, you you have two options. You have the option to open the door and let him in, or you have the the option to just let him stay out in the cold. And so G, the, Paul here is really praying that the people of Ephesus would welcome Jesus into their life, would receive him by faith. John 14, 14 23 says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So, When you welcome Jesus into your life, you welcome him into every part of your life. You welcome him into your home. He comes to live with you. And when you invite someone to come live with you, that means you are sharing things with them. You are opening up your full life to them for things to be different, for things to be changed, for things to be renovated. And that's too much for some people to bear. For people to eat out of your refrigerator, for people to move around your furniture, for people to, to change things. And Jesus is offering to come into your life to renovate your life, to come make it better, to come give you what you couldn't have had before. And so it's up to us, Christians, and again, I'm making that assumption today, but I realize there's people here that may not be Christians yet, and that's okay. You're on your journey. 
But if you are a Christian and Jesus is living in your life, the only way for someone to see that it's a good thing for someone to move into your house is if they see that it's good for you. That if you are welcoming Jesus into your life and saying, I, I'm welcoming this renovation. I'm welcoming this, this person to come and flip my house upside down. Then someone who sees your life will say, I want that too. But if they look at your life and they say, all I see Jesus doing in your life is being an inconvenience to your home. That you're kind of mad that he's eating out of your fridge or moving the furniture or living life in a way that you don't want, then of course the people that we know outside the faith will look at you and say, well, if you're having such a hard time with Jesus living in your life, why would I want him in my life? So that's a little bit of conviction for us of are people seeing us willingly inviting Jesus into our home? We need to show them the beauty of that, the beauty of having Jesus in our lives. And of course, the last part here, the fourth thing to pray for is the one that this text is most famous for. And it's a prayer for love. I mean, this is, this is a stunningly beautiful text. Verses 17, 18, and 19. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The prayer here is for people to know what real love is. And we live in what's been called the cynical generation too, where people want love, but they've been burned by love. Divorce rates are high. People that love us turn their back on us. Why would I stick my life out for love one more time? And that's when the love of Christ uh, comes invading into us. Paul prays for people to have strength to comprehend and to know love. And this love here is, is four-dimensional. It's wide, it's long, it's high, and it's deep. As, as one theologian helps, helps us understand, he says the width of God love, God's love shows us God's accepting love. It's so wide that he will accept you as you are. So no matter what you've done or gone through, God accepts you and brings you into his family. The width of God's love, his arms wide open. The length of God's love is his lasting love, meaning that he will never stop loving you. He won't divorce you. He won't walk out on you. It is from beginning to end, alpha and omega, eternity to eternity. His love is long. His love is high, meaning that it's exalting, meaning that it lifts you to places that other love cannot lift you to. It brings you out of a place and into another place. His love is deep, meaning that it's sacrificial, meaning that it's a love that would lay down its life for you. God shows us the full extent of his love by laying down his life for us. That's the depth of God's love. It doesn't end. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. This is big love, big, measureless, comprehensive, complete, that you may be filled with the fullness of God is what it says. St. Augustine says the measure of love is to love without measure. And that's what God has done for us. He's loved us without measure. 
And so that's the measure of how all love is to be compared is by the love of the great love of God, the big love of God for us. And as another pastor says, and I say this all the time, but I love it. God is rich in love and he's a big spender. He spends it all on us because he's rich in it. So how can we possibly grasp this? How can other people around us possibly grasp this? I mean, verse 19, it admits it surpasses knowledge. So how are, we, how are we to grasp this? It's too big for us. It comes back to roots. It says that you being rooted and grounded in love, it begins with the roots. That's how we begin to grasp it. And the roots of knowing this love is the faith that lives in us. When we invite Jesus into our home, that establishes the roots that we can actually begin the lifelong eternal process of knowing and comprehending the great love of God. As another theologian says, look, at, look after the roots and the fruits will look after themselves, right? I mean, we, we worry about the, the fruits and seeing the outward stuff, but let's look after the roots. If those are healthy, then the love grows, the fruit grows. It's scary for us to open ourselves truly to the love of God though, because of the things that I mentioned earlier. Um, so it's a gift when we begin to experience it. And I know each of you that, that love God have had these moments where you just get blown away by the great love of God in your life. But this is why the, the quote on the front of the bulletin really is important for us because as we consider praying and the power of prayer for ourselves and for our city and for people around us, uh, this guy, Tyler Statton, who's a, a pastor out in Portland, he says the number one obstacle for the modern person when it comes to prayer is not focus, is not, you know, is it going to work, is not, do I believe in prayer? He said the number one obstacle for the modern person when it comes to prayer is the inability to receive the love of God. But that means that if we do receive the love of God, if we welcome that in, that unconditional love, that transforms not just your personal soul and your heart for today, it actually transforms your prayers so that we begin praying earnestly and urgently for everyone around us in a beautiful way. And so this is why it matters then who we know we're praying for. Um, so we can pray that the God who, who loves us so deeply would invade the lives of those who we love as well. So lastly, lastly, as we wrap this up, um, we pray big prayers to a big God. God is the one who is bigger than, um, than all of our problems, all of our difficulties. Um, and his great love for us is, is measureless. And so we pray to a big God who answers big prayers in a big way, is what I would say. And so for us as a church, I think it's a place of growth for us to really um, receive the love of God and then step into bold praying for our city. And so I, I pray that we will, we will make deeper steps into being a church that prays for all those around us. Um, so my last like, little comment here is I, I, have a, I have a study Bible and I use this as a little bookmark. And this is from my, the church I went to when I was in college. So 17 years ago, 16 years ago in Tennessee. And they were doing this thing um, trying to grow their reach of their church. They were really convicted by praying for their city. And they gave these little bookmarks to the whole church, again, 16 years ago. And on the front is Ephesians 3, 
20 to 21, the text that we're about to finish with. And there's a tiny little seed. I don't know if you can see it. It's kind of the point. It's so small, you probably can't even see it. It's a tiny little seed. And they gave uh, each of us these bookmarks with the seed on it. And on the back, it explains about the seed. And it says this. It says, this is a sequoia sempervirens seed. And with this little seed is the potential for a tree that is estimated to live up to 2,200 years that reaches to nearly 380 feet in height, making it the tallest tree on earth. Can grow to 26 feet in diameter. It has roots that only go down about 10 to 13 feet. So think about 10 feet underground, 380 feet in the sky. But the roots go outward 60 to 80 feet intertwining with the roots of other sequoia trees, which means that when the winds blow on these tall trees, they won't fall because their roots are connected to one another. These trees are fire and disease resistant. They depend on fires as seeds are shed in the greatest numbers after a fire and they grow in soil with few nutrients. They must rely on each other for their vital nutrients. So it's just a beautiful image from this church years ago to say we need to pray big prayers to a big God who will do big things, but we do so deeply connected and intertwined with one another because that's what the roots of love do. They connect us to one another, knowing that we are stronger together. And so finishing up, we, again, I just encourage us to begin to pray bigger prayers for our city, pray big prayers for salvation, for people to know love, for people to find community to find all the things we mentioned, to be strengthened by his power, but to do so together. So lastly, this, note, this uh, quote by John Newton, who was the writer of Amazing Grace, he says this, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Amen. Let me close us in prayer and then we'll finish by singing a song together. Heavenly Father, we pray big prayers to you because you are a big God who desires all people to know you. And you can do, as it says in this text, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Even our biggest expectations, God, you can blow them away. And so God, I pray for us as a church that we would grow deeper into this spirit of prayer prayer for people to know you, prayer for our church to be used more widely, and pray for the city to flourish and to find its hope in you. So God, would you bind us together now in unity as those sequoia roots are? Help us to live into that image deeply and to trust you with the biggest prayers we can pray. In Jesus' name, amen.